0: everybody to another episode of Beyond Queer Stories. Today, our guest is Ditto. Ditto is a 20-something, gender-fluid, pansexual human adult. She is currently pursuing a career in comedy writing and performance here in Chicago, but has always been focused on telling good stories. As a kid, she would tell stories so poorly that no one would ever want to hear a story from her again. Now, with years of comedy trading under her belt, people love her stories. She performs them in hyper-femme drag around the town, and everyone has a great time. Yay. Yay. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for coming.
1: Yes. Thanks for having me.
2: All right. So, to get us started, what identities do you feel most influence your experiences?
1: Wow. I love that question. <laughs> what identities most influence my experience? Yeah. I would say a sort of androgynous genderqueer experience. Mm-hmm. I just don't like to identify as either male or female in sort of a definite sense. I've always liked to sort of hang out right in the middle and sort of tread that line and take my favorite qualities of both of the genders, especially when it comes to presentation. And then as I got older, I realized that my pattern of behavior also sort of sways in different ways, depending on the weather and the people I'm around. And it has a lot to do with like adaptability and feeling comfortable in my skin, which sometimes means I put on a more masculine front or a more feminine front just to sort of get through. So when did you like come into this gender
0: fluid fluidity, I guess?
1: I came out as gender fluid in 2014 because I saw that Ruby Rose video, Break Free. I love that video. I know exactly what you're talking about. That fully <laughs> I use changed it in classes life. when I teach.
2: I make people watch it.
1: I remember seeing that and thinking... I finally found the one person in the world who gets it, like to go from so heavily feminine to masculine in sort of a seamless transition through this video. Mm -hmm. It was everything that I had ever wanted for myself. Um, Being able to wake up one day and present one way and wake up the next day and present a different way and sort of removing those layers of these kind of um, gender expectations Mm -hmm. until you're just left with whatever you want to be was something that i was everything I wanted for myself. So I sort of just like wrote it really big in my journal. I am gender fluid in all caps. Oh. And then I started designing like tattoos that I could get based on like the different non-binary flags. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the gender fluid flag isn't my favorite as far as color scheme. Cause I'm not a big fan of pink, mm. but the gender queer flag and the pansexual flag I like a lot. But I've always wanted to incorporate that in a tattoo somehow. So hopefully I'll do that in the future.
2: When did you get started in the comedy scene?
1: I've always been extra. Um, (laughs) From birth. Yes. yeah. There's old videos of me like prancing around in feathered tutus. Not in the choreography I'm supposed to be in. But um, I've always had an interest in comedy. I grew up watching Ghostbusters and Animal House, even though those are not appropriate movies for children. (laughs) And the one thing I always realized they had in common were these people were all coming from the same place. The people writing these movies all went to the same exact school, Mm. and they all knew each other before they got into this industry. Mm -hmm. So it just seemed like the most logical step to take myself to Chicago, to the school where all of these people were learning their crafts and making movies that I always enjoyed seeing and that I wanted to make myself. Mm -hmm. And Second City continues to prove that their students go on to do really amazing things. So moving up to Chicago was definitely a very purposeful step. And since then, I've just been taking program after program until I feel like I'm ready to, I don't know, get more work. (laughs)
2: Launch yourself out into the world.
1: Yeah.
0: What do you think you'd want to end up creating once you get to that point?
1: That's a good question. Um, I've always said that I want to be a writer-performer in really any kind of sense. I would just like to do it on television and film. Mm-hmm. So it's if, if it's a sketch show or sort of kind of an episodic thing or a sitcom or anything like that, I enjoy working on a team of writers and performers where we all work together uh, to create something that we all really enjoy. So being able to do that would be kind of my ultimate dream. Where would you move here from? Kentucky. Wow. Oh, how was that <laughs> transition? <laughs> it's interesting because... In the four years that I've lived up here, I've noticed that the other people that I've met who are also from Kentucky Mm -hmm. are queer people. There's like six of us now that I've met and I'm like, is it a coincidence that most of us are gay and not in Kentucky anymore? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it just seemed like, you know, this sort of commonality that Kentucky can kind of um, feel like it's closing in on people who are different Mm -hmm. because it's it's such a weird thing if you don't blend in or fit with the convention of the way that everyone looks, then people don't just, they get mad. Mm -hmm. Like they get angry. It's, it's like wearing crazy makeup or wearing, you know, more neon colors than what's considered appropriate is like disturbing the peace. Like you can't just go into a Walmart in like full face Because people will scowl at you and people will sometimes threat violence because they don't understand why you've decided to like, you know, make this much of a scene just by walking around. So it was an odd environment that I knew that as I got older, I really needed to get out of Hmm. Um, because it does become kind of suffocating after a while, Uh, regardless of like the pride events they have. You still kind of feel this attitude looming over you like you may not be the most accepted there mm-hmm. i have a lot of friends who have been beat up for various reasons leaving clubs and things like that so coming up here also was sort of satisfying that dream of wow i can wake up and walk outside and whatever i want and no one's really going to bother because crazy stuff happens here all the time
0: <laughs> yeah. very true.
1: the worst i get is like are you a makeup artist and i'm like yeah sure <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so definitely <with> that. <laughs> nice
0: so you mentioned that um, in Kentucky, it's this kind of like a looming air of like not being fully accepted. Did you get that within like your own family as well? Or did you was that only more of a like environmental thing?
1: The family stuff. Yeah. And that actually has part to do with my story, which is um, my family has a lot of hang ups about my hair mm-hmm. and uh, things that have to do with presentations. So being able to go to Chicago and be myself and at least what I strive to be the most authentic sense is how I was able to discover who I really am and what I really like at such a late stage in life. Mm-hmm. But having short hair is something that I've always been very adamant about. Mm-hmm. I don't like long hair. It gets in my face. I find it very annoying. If it's in any way obstructing my vision, it's there's too much of it. So the Ruby Rose hair mm-hmm. was like everything to me. But every time I'd go back home or my family would see pictures of me, they'd be like, it's short.
2: Your hair is short.
1: It looks quite butch. Ooh. <laughs> Do you like it like that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I definitely. <laughs> like, I
2: don't know what they did to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I fell yeah. asleep in the chair. Right. <laughs> um, but it seems so weird that that would be such a big deal, but because it's so important, it's been something that has come up multiple times. My extended family, I've sort of been able to – Get off my back because i'm like this is the way it's gonna stay mm-hmm. but my dad is always like like i'd love it if you grew your hair out i want you to grow your hair back out like i'm actually gonna really consider it and be like okay dad you're right i don't know <laughs> what i was thinking but every time i go home he's like he just imagines it's getting shorter and shorter and he wants nothing more than for me to have shoulder length hair mm-hmm. and be able to keep it in a ponytail mm-hmm. and like join him on the golf course <laughs>
2: Because <laughs> you can't with this haircut.
1: I think it just promotes. It just raises too many questions from mm-hmm. like friends and peers it's and too other people
2: that you might be queer.
1: Yeah, way. and I've I like to play that up a lot too, like mm-hmm. with the clothing and stuff. One of my favorite birthdays was when I asked my grandparents for nothing but bow ties and suspenders. Because Aww. I wanted my wardrobe to have that kind of old-timey mm-hmm. gentleman feel. Mm-hmm. And she actually got them. And I was like, Aww. this is one of my favorite birthdays for real. And That's great. my guy friends would borrow the ties constantly until I didn't have them anymore. Because they'd be like, oh, they're so cute. Can I borrow them so I can take them to work? And I'd never get them back. Aww. <laughs> I would hunt all of those bow ties down. <laughs> I had like a Union Jack and like a blue one and a red one and all these other cute matching suspenders yeah. and things. And with time i'm not that i should have to do this or need to do this but i've been able to prove to people that this really does work for me mm-hmm. because i am confident in the way that i am when i present this way and i do my best work when i feel comfortable
0: i was just going to say it's really cool that you're so adamant about not changing who you are and like also being aware that you had to be it to work towards self comfort so late in your life. I don't think a lot of people like to admit the fact that they've only come to their truth in their like late thirties or like late forties because they feel like they should have understood who they were and accepted it fully when they're like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you've understood that you know you don't have to accept it, or maybe your environment didn't allow you to accept this, so you had to get away from it. And now that like, you're in a good environment where you can like understand who you are and like accept all aspects of who you are I don't think there's a reason for anyone to like be ashamed of that and for anyone to revert back to like having really long hair or presenting in one gender just because some family member is like oh no you should totally like do this it makes us more comfortable like yeah it's kind of like in a really selfish aspect but what about like my level of comfort like I have mm-hmm. to live with myself at the end of the day I can't look in a mirror and hate myself because you love what you see and I don't love what I see yeah so it's like really cool that you're like, gung-ho
1: for not changing at all. I've had discussions with my dad where he's like, I just really want you to grow it out. You look so good in a ponytail. And I have to just sort of be like, it's my body, my choice. <laughs> kind of <laughs> run out of the room. Um, but How yeah. does re-
2: he respond to that?
1: Uh, he's just sort of like, oh, whatever, you know. <laughs> like,
2: so did you leave Kentucky, like, looking much more like feminine and then you came back and then they were like oh you cut your hair and oh you're pre-. you said like from a young age like, you were always kind of like different mm-hmm. in presentation and interest but for them was it kind of like a big change
1: that's what always confused me because I felt like my queerness was sort of starting to reveal itself even back when I was in high school because mm-hmm. that's when I first cut my hair I saw Kira Knightley in the, in the movie Domino Mm -hmm. And she had this short hair with these highlights and she Mm -hmm. would sort of, uh, I would watch the behind the scenes of the pirates movies where she would be sort of rehearsing her fight choreography with the swords. Mm -hmm. But she would, she looked so cool with the short hair and this cute little headband. And she'd like swipe her sword like this. And then she'd flip her hair out of her face. And it looked so cool. I was like, that's, I want that. <laughs> and when I got my haircut in high school, I, I looked straight up like Zac Efron from high school musical. <laughs> like it was, it wasn't exactly a bowl cut, but it definitely was like all concentrated in this one length that mm-hmm. would sort of flip over my eyes, like a little swoop, like a little Justin Bieber type <laughs> yeah. of flip. And so... Growing that out is always annoying, so I've, mm-hmm. I would go through these phases where I would have it short, and then I would grow it out, and it, looks, it always looks really weird when it gets around your ears, mm-hmm. uh, and then it turns into this mullet because the top hasn't grown enough to cover the bottom, but if yeah. you don't grow out the bottom, then it doesn't make sense. And then every couple of years, I would cut it again until the Ruby Rose video came out, mm-hmm. and I started doing the sort of undercuts, mm-hmm. and it... I just started to like it more and more that it kept getting shorter and shorter until I got this sort of asymmetrical shave kind of thing, which I think is perfect because I am, I have like bipolar disorder and I have depression and anxiety. So I've always felt like mentally I may not be the most balanced. Mm-hmm. And I like that my hair kind of represents <laughs> that as well. Like it's just a little bit askew mm-hmm. from nice. the from the center.
2: Yeah. I like that little like subtle like message in there that, Like, people don't even know. This is a part of my hairstyle. Like, what when you got here, um, because you said that in Kentucky, like, you felt like you couldn't totally be yourself. So, what was, like, on your agenda? Like, when I get to Chicago, I need to do this.
1: I wanted to do drag. That's nice. Yeah. I wanted to get – I wanted to learn more about makeup. I wanted to start learning how to design and construct clothes. Still working on that one. (laughs) But I wanted to – I wanted to be able to perform in drag. Um, It was something that I had an interest in, and I never really had the courage to pursue it Mm -hmm. because uh, in Kentucky you have to drive everywhere, and I lived with my mom, so I didn't want to get into full face Mm -hmm. at my mom's house and then have to sort of drive across the city to the club. Mm -hmm. But when I would be – when I would get sad and, like – either someone in my family would be like, I'm never calling you ditto. Or my dad would tell me that I, he wanted me to grow my hair out again. I would go to sex shops mm-hmm. and I would look at all the wigs mm-hmm. and sort of like the robes and the mm-hmm. shoes and everything like that. And I would think someday I will have the courage to walk in here and buy one of these wigs and sort of make it part of what mm-hmm. my performance is. Because up until then, I was just wearing heels with pantyhose like (laughs) anybody's first time in drag just like the grossest like the (laughs) eyebrows aren't fully covered there's no lashes like you know it wasn't put together Mm -hmm. so when i came up here it was really amazing to see that a the drag community is full of afab and non-binary queens Mm -hmm. like i feel like some of them practically rule the town Mm -hmm. and the other ones are absolutely supportive of it i've had experiences with people in the club, like patrons sort of not understanding what I'm doing or telling me that it's not drag or Mm -hmm. looking at it and being like, you'll never be a queen or like weird stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating because they're only saying that because they were born men and not women, Mm -hmm. because I'm looking at them and they like, they're not padded, they're not wearing lashes, their wigs are dry and (sighs) like... They have no polish, but they still feel like they're a step above mm-hmm. all of the work that I've done just to get out there mm-hmm. because they're part of this like hierarchy of, you know, gay men who have the right to perform in this way and we don't for some reason. Mm-hmm. But those experiences are few and far between. And I don't go out because I don't drink and because club experiences give me anxiety. So I end up having to do dragon like my storytelling performances and sort of. In- incorporating more into the comedy community as opposed to the drag community. Although I would eventually like to do both. I just find it very nerve wracking. And also everyone is super polished here Mm -hmm. and everyone has like very strong ideas. Their performances have very strong concepts. Mm -hmm. It's not just like you pick your favorite song and you look really nice and you go up there. It's like, they have an idea, they've taken the lyrics to the song, the title of the song, the person who sings the song, and they have reformulated it into a whole new story mm-hmm. that has become their performance. Yeah. And those are the ones that do really well. And I'm still trying to figure out how to take myself to that level. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it just all takes like, work like honestly like hours and hours of work like yeah. I, like all the drag queens here even though they're like head to toe like in full looks they're so fucking nice like all of them are such sweethearts and you can go up to them and ask them like how long did it take you to put that together it's like oh you know like four hours or like three hours mm-hmm. or six hours like sometimes it'll take them a whole day or like you said like it'll they'll like put a whole outfit together with the song that they're performing and that'll take like a week. That's that, that was my experience. Yeah,
1: I've I've done um Goddess at Berlin four times, mm-hmm. but that was back in like 2016 because it gets so expensive mm. and because the bar is set so high here, I would never want to wear the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. So the first two outfits I made from scratch. Well, like I would buy, like I bought a dress from the Salvation Army, and then I like covered it in beads that I had from Mardi Gras, and I made like a crown and shoulder pads and like all of these things that took 16 hours. Mm -hmm. It was like eight hours a day for two days. Mm -hmm. And then the next one was like an entire bodysuit that I had fully bedazzled. And I see Queens do this all the time. Mm -hmm. They're like, it took me forever to stone these shoes and I stoned this dress and it took forever. And I'm like, you must've had help (laughs) because (laughs) how are you still performing if, you know, mm-hmm. how do you get these done? Yeah, yeah, it's
2: super tedious process, I'd imagine. Yeah,
1: and yeah but it- oh, sorry, no, I like I have multiple jobs, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm also still in these comedy programs, taking these classes, and it's tough because it it does kind of set itself as more of a hobby mm-hmm. as opposed to something I can really pursue. Mm-hmm. And it's an investment. Like I've always wanted a drag parent, and now I have what I call foster parents. <laughs> because I just don't feel like I'm worth the investment of time and money and and resources that they have oh. turning me into a better queen mm-hmm. when this isn't like the only career path that I've ever had in mind. Mm-hmm. It's just something that I felt would be really cool to incorporate in the stuff that I'm already doing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is just I just have to learn it on my own. Mm-hmm. But I take a lot of inspiration from English queens as well because I find that they're just a lot quirkier and they develop characters Mm -hmm. that no one else can do. Like there's a queen named Ginny Lemon who all I want is to see her become so (laughs) successful, but I would also categorize her almost more as a performance artist Mm -hmm. and nobody can do, nobody can be Ginny Lemon other than Ginny Lemon. Mm -hmm. And that's if like my drag persona is that's exactly what I would like to be, but it becomes tough because ditto can be anybody or anything, Mm -hmm. but when it's not, it's just this like pink amorphous blob, which is very me, but it also doesn't have any distinguishing features. You could do a whole fit around Ditto too. Mm-hmm. Like you could do a whole like pink blob, but glamour blob <laughs> blob. Yeah, like Ditto. I've always really wanted to uh, do the thing where in the Pokemon series, one of the qualities of Ditto is it can replicate anything it sees. Mm-hmm. But if it can't, if it doesn't have an image of it right in front of it, it'll get some of the details wrong Mm -hmm. and on the show it is it looks entirely like a another pokemon except for the face yes it's got that ditto face Uh that's just like (laughs) two dots in a line yeah (laughs) i would love to do that somehow like completely be transformed into something else except for this like plain nondescript face (laughs) like
2: (laughs) (laughs) we're we're at the time
1: to hear your story so we'd love to hear your story today the story begins about the time we were discussing in 2014 i came out as gender fluid i came out as a queer person when i was maybe 19 or 20 because when i went to college that was the first time i had ever really been friends with people who were out i only knew one person who was out in high school and that was brave And then when I got to college, it was finally a place where everybody could feel comfortable. So I started feeling more like myself and realizing, oh, I am very much like these people. And these are the people that I would like to stay friends with because we all make each other feel more comfortable in an environment where maybe we are not so much. And then I grew up a little bit more. And as we were sort of discussing, I felt like I needed to leave Kentucky in order to feel more comfortable. And then I sort of found myself diverting back into the closet. I had grown my hair back out. For a couple of reasons. One is because I wasn't sure if I could get cast in anything legitimate as a non-conforming person. Because non-binary people usually sway one way or the other and can play whatever gender people feel they pass the most as. And the only people I could really think of were like Tilda Swinton, you know, and people like that. Obviously, everybody had a crush on Ruby Rose at the time, but she was sort of a specific case where everyone was just fascinated with her. So I thought, I'll grow my hair out, which means I will be eligible for more female roles. And it wasn't working because I was getting called for things like bridezilla and angry bridesmaid and things that I just didn't relate to. And the other reason I was growing it out is because my dad was getting married. And I knew if I cut my hair, he would be angry at me for having short hair in his wedding photos. Or he just wouldn't stop complaining about it. And I just didn't want to hear it. So I had allowed myself to grow my hair out kind of around my shoulders. And I hate the way it looks because when I have short hair, I look in the mirror and I think that girl's got short hair. That looks cool. When I have long hair, I think that guy's got really long hair. He looks like a pirate. (laughs) It's so hard to explain looking in the mirror and not feeling like that's you, like not even recognizing yourself and being like, this is, this, I don't like this at all. So on the night of November 9th, 2017, I was drinking white wine in my bed and I was watching Drunk History UK. And Just episode by episode, it's all of these stand-up comedians getting drunk and telling English history stories, but there was one comedian in particular who I just found massively intriguing. He had brighter clothes than all of the other stand-ups, he had more jewelry than anybody was wearing, and he held his Prosecco in a very specific way, and I loved the way that he would tell his stories and the way that he would move, and I just wanted to watch everything that he was part of. And through that, I learned that he was an English stand-up named Joe Lycett, and he was very vocal about being a pansexual person. And I watched him on a talk show, uh, Late Night with Jonathan Ross, and he was like, so you're pansexual, what does that mean? And he's like, well, I'm attracted to men and I'm attracted to women, but I also realized that there are people who don't have, identify as either of those, and I don't want to leave any of them out. And I, at that moment, it was like, his hand reached out of the computer screen and just like grabbed my heart out of my chest and took it. It was like, Jah! like I got it. <laughs> um, so I had this moment where I was like, oh, what? Did someone just say that on a late night talk show? We have a representative? Like, it, was, it was just the coolest feeling. And my heart just went insane. And it didn't stop for months. Like, physically, I've never, nothing's ever really affected me in that way. Like, I had trouble sleeping because I was so excited. I felt like he had paved the way for queer artists to sort of make their voices known without making it the joke. Because people really relate to him. They like him. He's sweet. And he likes to fight for consumer rights and raise money for charities and uh, go after big companies that, you know, don't pay their employees properly or uh, are taking over local businesses and sort of taking their money away. It just made me feel like if he can do it, then I can do it too. So that night I was like, I just decided like I was going to cut my hair. I was going to start pushing as hard as I could to be my most authentic self and I was finally gonna go after a career that I wanted on my terms and the thought of that it was so exciting that I couldn't really sleep or eat and in two and a half weeks I lost like 14 pounds like it was a it was a weird thing to sort of go through but also I in that time I had booked a national commercial Uh, I had joined the cast of a really cool, important show at one of the theaters I was in. I had decided I was going to write a book. We'll see where that goes. And I was just going to perform, and I was going to do more drag, and I was going to get really heavy into makeup. And I wasn't going to care what anybody said about it. And it was just such an important moment. And um, since then, it's been blue lipstick and heavy eye colors and, you know, more drag. I have more wigs than ever now. And uh, I'm going out and doing these solo performances and things like that. And I don't know if I would really have anything of a career if it weren't for that moment. That sort of turning point where I was like, oh, I don't have to be what, you know, I don't have to fit into this box. I don't have to play this role or be what I'm seeing everybody else do. I will get a lot further in my career by playing what I know and being myself because nobody else can do that but me. So the more I was doing that, the more I thought I should push this further. I should see where, how far I can get with this. So I decided I was going to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. It's Pretty much regarded now as a comedy festival, but in the seventy years that it's been going, it started with roots in very heavy dramatic performances. It was the place where like world premieres of really important plays would happen. And then throughout the eighties and nineties it started to push into more of an experimental field, uh, until it became a place where stand-ups could go and comedy troupes could go and street performers could go and just do whatever they wanted. I've seen a couple of performances highlighted where Uh, a group of women do a show in a women's bathroom and that's their venue. Or somebody has a truck on the property, like on the sort of in the city and people go in and they blindfold them and they give them headphones and it's like a sensory experience and that's their show. So you have to present to the fringe what your performance is going to be. But if you wanted to, you could just sit there and, you know, put like a beach ball on your head and look at everybody very intently and that could be your show. And people would be like, it's genius. (laughs) (laughs) But I just felt like it, you know, there's no system of accepting or denying submissions when it comes to the fringe. If you're willing to jump through the hoops it takes to get through that process because they make it purposely difficult because so many people apply. If you can sort of, meander your way through that. The only thing they really ask from you is to pay the rental fee for your venue. So I was like, this is the biggest, you know, comedy theatrical festival in the world. Uh, Why not? So I'm going next year. Nice. Um, I'm going to do a limited run. So it'll probably be maybe every other day for two weeks or something. Because there are people who go and do one show every day for the entire month. Because the festival is from like August 1st to August 30th. And there's one day where everyone takes a break. But I just don't think I have, like I can't handle every day for a month at this point because in order to get people to come to your show, every day you have to go out and hand out flyers and you have to meet people in coffee shops and be like, hey, are you interested in a never before seen theatrical experience <laughs> that you've never seen before at a festival that's full of theatrical experiences? <laughs> Will come to mine. So... I'm just starting slow to see how it goes. I'm just so thankful, I think, for the whole experience because it it showed me that no one really ever had any objections to me being authentically myself. It was just me not feeling like people would accept it. It was just a lot of personal walls that I was putting up. Because growing up in Kentucky, I didn't feel like I could be the person that i wanted to be and if that if you do that for long enough you realize that like even you don't know who you really are because you've pushed it back so much that even when someone gives you the opportunity it's easy to fall back into these old habits of things you know were accepted at one point so it it takes work almost to like push yourself creatively out of that but now that i've sort of come to that understanding. I'm like, yeah, I want to, I want to do more festivals and I want to travel to the UK and I, I want to have a career and I want people to know that it's okay to be this way and that you can have fun and you can, you know, be creative. And I get people calling me brave a lot because I walk around with like non neutral toned lipstick. Like I went out with blue and people are like, you're so brave. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> okay, and oh, I, another thing I get is I I could never do that. I could never wear that lipstick out. It would never look good on me. And you can. It's like go to a beauty supply store, get the NYX Wicked Collection, <laughs> and just throw it on. But it's been really exciting knowing that it is be it is accepted, and I just want to push it more into like Ginny Lemon territory, where she just doesn't care what anybody thinks and she was on the British X Factor and she went out in sort of her drag character you know sauntering out like this and one thing I can't stand about shows like X Factor and America's Got Talent is as soon as I see queens walk out on that stage they always cut to audience members like looking like "Mm, what's this person gonna do or "Mm, why do they look like that or like when Eva Destruction was on America's Got Talent she was all over the stage doing jump splits and death drops and like, you know, things that queer people would be going crazy for. And all these straight people in the audience and all these straight people on the panel are just like, okay, that was a performance. Um, thank you for your time. And it does, it just never makes any sense to me. So when Jenny Lemon walked out, she just doesn't care. (laughs) And creatively, I love what she does because she uses loop pedals to make her music so everything is completely from her, and uh, I watched this particular performance of theirs where uh, they were at a pride festival and they were doing their song, and then they run sort of out of the stage area and into the street, and they start. She sort of starts dancing like next to trucks until cars start honking at her, and she's like, she takes off her like. Uh, caftan dress and starts like dancing and then she like gets on the ground and she's like putting her arms up and it it was like I don't know just mind blowing <laughs> uh, it was like and en- it was like exiting one world and entering a completely different world where you could do whatever you wanted and the only person holding you back is you which is I'm still holding myself back all the time because if there's two things I'm trying to avoid on a daily basis. It's I don't want to get hit by cars and I don't want to get yelled at by anybody because growing up, I like had ADD and I was all over the place and I hated traditional schooling and Kentucky does not have like they're massively underfunded. So even if I was heavily advised to have individual attention in school, there was nobody to do that there were no resources so it was just like they just kept putting me in special ed because it was like okay we need to take you from a class of 20 to a class of 5 and this is the best we can do and then people started getting very mean about the fact that i was in special education classes because i needed individual attention because i hated school because it was boring so growing up being different and sort of having this air of uh unfamiliarity with other people has always been a common theme, so having this new world where I could just kind of jump into it and live there and uh, wear makeup and pursue drag has just been a really exciting thing on that night when I was drinking white wine, I like started drafting a letter that I was going to write to Joe Lysett, and I kept sort of stopping and restarting and rewriting it and all of these things because it just seemed dumb. Like, the beginning of it was cool, but then it started to, I'll just, I'll read the beginning and then, okay. (sighs) Okay. Letter first drafted on the night of November 9th, 2017. Dearest Gerald Asset, if you take nothing else from this letter, I would just like to say thank you. Thank you for giving me the courage and inspiration I needed to start my career in comedy. Thank you for being a proud representative of the pansexual community. Thank you for making me feel like I could have a place in this industry, and thank you for motivating me every day to be my most authentic self. I wouldn't have been able to do any of it without you. Seeing you perform and spread joy to so many people inspires so many others to do the same. And that's as far as I got. Yeah. But the gist of what was going to happen after that was he's really brought together a huge community of people who felt like they didn't have a voice. And I feel like that's massively important. The letter was going to go into this prop, this sort of proposal of... Um, he still he stole my heart from my chest without my permission. He didn't ask. It just he just grabbed it and he took it, and I need it back. For a lot of things, it's important. Because every time I like see him on TV or I think about like how exciting it would be to, you know, work in England or have a career in comedy or anything like that, my heart still goes nuts and I sort of <laughs> had this realization that Oh, this is what people mean when they say they can't live without people. Like they're so in love with people that they can't function. Like it in this case it, it it was romanticized a bit, but it finally made sense when I sort of had this imagery in my head of he took my heart from my chest and it's now in his chest. And it makes it's making him stronger because ever since that moment, he's been growing in popularity massively. Like in 2018, he had a tour where I watched his Instagram followership grow by a, thou, a thousand plus people every single night he had a show. And he did like 15 shows a month for the almost the whole year from like February to November. So he went from like 166,000 to like, he's at almost 500 now. And now he's got... He's been hosting multiple TV shows in the last year as well. So my delusional brain is like, my heart's been making him stronger. (laughs) Um, And I just have this image of like, if his heart is where it normally is, then mine is right next to it. So now he's got two hearts that he can use to like relate to everybody and make these things. But now I've got like a backup that doesn't work properly. And so... The letter was going to go into, um, I'm in a peculiar position of not having a heart, but having a replacement heart. So I would love if we could meet briefly (laughs) so that I could get it back. (laughs) And getting it, really getting it back, all that means is just meeting and a handshake and like a hello and an acknowledgement and a thank you. Because before it was like, I felt like we (laughs) would get along really well. And we should be together, blah, 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 whatever. That's, those are delusions. So now it's sort of evolved into like, okay, I would just like a handshake and then I'll just like, I'll just grab my heart. I'll take it back. I'll put it back in my chest. Uh, You might feel some withdrawal symptoms. Uh, Your popularity might go down slightly or you might find you have a little shortness of breath. Uh, I had that too. It'll all recover. But if we kept in touch, who knows? (laughs) Maybe... I don't know where I'm going with that, but, um, (laughs) I just wanted to say thanks a lot for changing my life in such a weirdly profound way. Like one of my friends, I was, I did the second city conservatory program. I graduated in November and, um, in the first class we had, I did a monologue where I was this sort of, um, worker at a bottling plant coming out to people. And in that performance, I was like, oh, Not only did I just come out to my entire class, which I guess was useful, but I realized that, like, with my long hair and my weird clothes and sort of this presentation that I had adapted, everybody around me is under the impression that they know who I am, and I know for a fact that they don't know anything about me, because I'm not comfortable enough to show them that. So this tipping point, this sort of turning point, was me being able to say to myself, no one is going to accept you for the identity that you've created if you don't accept it yourself. Because the other issue I was having is no one was picking up on my name because I used to give them the option. I used to give them my real name and say, but my nickname is Ditto. You can call me Ditto. And anybody over the age of 40 would be like, I'm just going to call you by your real name because that's your real name. And then I I realized that giving people my real name is like giving people power that they can hold over me. And Almost, they will almost always abuse that power. They will take it upon themselves to say, I'm more comfortable with this name, so that's what I'm going to call you, even if it makes me massively uncomfortable. So I, I can't give them the option anymore. When people ask me for my real name, I just say, like, Nosferatu, Prince of Darkness, or something. <laughs> like, if you're going to ask me what my real name is, it's going to be a hundred times weirder and more embarrassing to say, because that's what they do. They're like, the older people are like, oh, I'm embarrassed. That's not a name. That's a, just a silly word. And I'm like, it's not really up to you. Whether, you know, you feel comfortable saying it or not, I don't think it's that weird. People are, you know, able to choose their identities now. And the whole, you know, pronouns thing, people grammatically being like, you can't use they. And it's like, yeah, but if you tried to use it, I'm sure it'd be fine. Or if someone, you know, more important or higher up wanted to use it, I'm sure you'd accept it very quickly. But this idea of like difference and otherness and people wanting to come after you because they think that you're like doing this despite them somehow like you're you're just trying to say like screw society like i don't even care like i'm going to go live in the mountains and be ditto and <laughs> you know all these things and it's it's like no i'm trying to live in the same world as you mm-hmm. i just am trying to let people know that i don't feel you know i don't feel like a girl and i don't feel like a boy i feel like both i just want to be me And people are like, yeah, but you isn't a label. That's not a description. Mm. And I'm like, I don't get why that matters. (laughs) So uh, ditto is whatever ditto wants to be. And I am lucky enough now to say that my career is sort of starting at this point. After all of this work and all of these sort of dreams and, and pushing myself in that direction, uh, I've started to book more work on TV and I've started to get in touch with more people and do more performances around town and sort of just get my face out there. And that all has been just really mind-blowing. And I really, really do not think that any of that would have been possible if it weren't for this turning point moment. I mean, really, it was like my life changed overnight. To the point where I was like, not eating and losing a bunch of weight, and just you know being full of excitement, and yeah, it was like it was like you your life goes from like black and white to color. And I woke up and I was like, I'm ditto, yeah, (laughs) like this is gonna be great. So hopefully we'll be able to meet sometime in the future, and I'll just be able to get my heart back really quickly. But at this point. Things are going pretty well and I'm pretty happy with where I am, but I also am, I'm ready to push it a lot further. Like I'm ready, like the makeup that I was doing last year, I'm already bored by and it's become very paint by numbers. And I'm like, okay, I need to take the numbers and I need to move them. So now that colors are going like up on my forehead and down on my chin and all that stuff. And yeah, that'll just be really exciting. I'll test it for pride. That's always what queer people do—is they're like, "Oh, I've never thought about doing drag, but it's pride or it's Halloween, so <laughs> let's do it." <laughs> and now people like ask me more like style questions, which is really exciting because I always before this I used to just look really dumpy and wear sweatpants all the time, mm-hmm. and now people are like, "Where'd you get that?" and "Where'd you get that?" and I have all these statement pieces and sort of vintage things. So that's sort of the next step is pushing into like designing clothes and being able to construct them because Joe Lysett hosts a show on BBC called The Great British Sewing Bee. And if I could get that channel or that show or watch, I need to get the the v- Express VPN thing. Uh-huh. You change your uh, IP address so you can watch stuff in other countries. That's super tricky to be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's full, like, there's subscription services you can do now, but even those, I'm like, what are they doing with my information? (laughs) Like, all I want to do is watch The Sewing Bee (laughs) and, like, these things that he's hosting now that he's become more successful. But it just seems too risky sometimes. And then if you try to pirate it, they, like, hate you forever. They're like, you didn't pay for this programming. (laughs) Like, you are the devil. (laughs) And it's like, no, I'm just in the States. I'm just trying to watch your, I just want to watch a program. So I'm excited to go to the Fringe and uh, do sort of like play music and dance and have drag aspects in it. And I want to bring my friend to sort of help me put it together. But an undertaking that massive never would have been sort of on my radar before any of this. I would have been like, that is entirely too much work. (laughs) Or, you know, who's going to want to see me or anything like that. And after this experience, I was like, it doesn't really matter. There's nobody standing in my way. It's just you apply, you create something, and then you go. And the more fearless and gung-ho you are about it, the more people will appreciate you not really listening to outside influences when it comes to doing the things that you want. So that's really the direction that I'm pushing.
0: I've learned something new every single time you've spoken.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was great. One really exciting thing I was able to do through this is um, when this happened, I was convinced that this was like some kind of divine message. Like, there are no coincidences. (laughs) Like, uh, everything happens for a reason. This was meant to happen, blah, blah, blah. And um, I thought, he's very vocal about where he's from he's from a, a place in england called birmingham which as far as i can tell is a is a town that has a very sort of counterculture attitude uh like they don't really care about you know greater society's expectations they just kind of go with the flow and do what they want and i was like that sounds like a really fun environment and a fun place to visit because uh, the drag there is also really interesting so i thought maybe it would be a fun place to visit because everybody wants to go to London. Obviously, I love London, but uh, my sister lives in England, so I'd love to see other places. Before I could even, you know, think about planning that trip, a drag queen from Birmingham came here. And she's, her name is Amber Cadaveris, and she just graduated from university, and all of her projects has, have involved her as a drag artist. Mm-hmm. And she's pretty popular, because again, no one is like Amber Cadaverous. She is glamorous and spooky. Mm-hmm. She's like a goth drag baby. I don't know why baby she's always very cutesy. And also <coughs> when she's not in drag, she's very shy. Oh, okay, okay, I get it. Um and like we were going to get food one time and she like doesn't she gets very nervous when talking to people. She's like, I'm British and I have anxiety. <laughs> and so we go out to eat and I'm having to like do English to English translations because <laughs> the girl behind the counter's like what would you like to get and she's like I'll take a number f- 5 and she's like okay is that for here to go and she like doesn't understand the- what the question means and so she looks at me and I'm like we're eating here and she's like okay we're eating here and then she's like okay what's your name and she's like Amba <laughs> and she's like what and I'm like her name is Amber she wants a number 3 and we're eating here <laughs> like, this is going to be great um so I thought it was a weird coincidence that before I could even get to Birmingham, some, someone, not only someone from Birmingham, but a female drag queen from Birmingham was coming here. And she's here right now visiting again, because again, she's massively popular. Mm-hmm. So it's been really cool to like meet her and talk to her. And she's a really amazing artist. And she's hugely inspirational to me, too, because when RuPaul came out with all of the eh, I don't think really I'd want women on the on drag race, whatever, she was like, Fuck RuPaul <laughs> She was like like nobody's gonna fucking tell me I can't do drag. Like yeah. this is some bullshit. <laughs> and most of England was that way as well. Mm-hmm. The community. Like when they announced Drag Race UK, her and a lot of other queens that she's friends with and in other towns like like Manchester and places like that were like, Okay, we're excited that it's here, but like you need to get your shit together and realize that most of the British, the UK any of those countries i know trump fucked it up and it's like cuz like scotland's not part of the in, in the i northern ireland anyway I'm, I'm talking out of my ass the whole brexit thing yeah, yeah. like that community was built by women and trans people mm-hmm. very similar to our community as well but they were much more vocal about like, I don't want to be on the show if you're not going to let AFAB queens on the show mm-hmm. or this show's not going to be very good if you don't include like half the people who are part of the community anyway. And especially since they were just coming off of, um, there's a queen there named Lacey Lou who's also from Birmingham. And she was hired with a group of other queens by Virgin Atlantic, the like flight branch of it (laughs) and it was going to be a series of flights where the drag queens were the stewardesses and then they fired her because she was they didn't realize she was a female but they they dressed it up saying oh you don't fit the look we don't feel like you fit the look of all the other queens but she was the only afab queen in the group and she's massively talented she has her own drag house and they they set up storytelling like story time events uh where queens come in and they like read to kids and stuff and it's the cutest thing But a lot of people were pissed that Virgin fired her for basically no reason. And then the Drag Queen Drag Race UK announcement came shortly after that. But yeah, Amber's performances, some of them have revolved around like, oh, I'm just a girl. And like, I'm just here doing drag. And like, you can't tell me what to do. And (laughs) like, fuck my drag, right? Like all that (laughs) stuff. And that made me feel so much better about the experiences that I had had in the community and she just like isn't having any of it that's another one of those moments where you meet somebody who inspires you so much like joe lysett has introduced me to all of these queens that want nothing more than to just be themselves and just be these creative colorful queer identities and it just it makes it makes me gravitate in that direction so much more like I don't dislike American culture or TV or anything like that. Just ever since I was a kid, I grew up watching like Are You Being Served and Keeping Up Appearances and these TV shows from like 1960s and 70s Britain that, show, that were on PBS growing up. Which is weird because I hear English people all the time be like, oh, I've always wanted to go to California. I did nothing but watch The O.C. growing up. Or or like Saved by the Bell or like they always are like, oh, I loved Friends. And I'm like, Friends is cool, but have you seen Coupling? <laughs> like it was Friends, but with sex. Like <laughs> it was way more interesting. And as a 14-year-old, I'm like DVRing every single episode that comes on BBC America mm. and just feeling like I wish I could pick myself up and put myself over there. And my sister is... um a historian who does research. So she's over there all the time. And so every day I'm like, she's already over there. (laughs) I'm like, I need to get over there. And so many people over there inspire me. Not that people over here don't. I just feel like I like the vibe of the, of Britain. I like that over there, they are always under the impression that they like, don't like to bother anybody and they don't like to bump into people. And they're always like, Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Excuse me. But from over here, it, The British celebrities that we know are people who can do nothing but speak their mind. Like we think of like Ricky Gervais and Russell Brand and these people who like have opinions that they're not afraid of sharing Mm -hmm. or like they're like, oh, we don't give a fuck. Like this is who we are. And so it's always been this really interesting dichotomy of like the way British people see themselves and the way that we see British people. They imagine themselves as like this timid group of people who like you know, are very polite and they stand up straight and they walk with top hats and canes like the Monopoly guy. But all I've ever seen are people in England who want to do nothing more than fuck the man. Not literally, but like, nah. But <laughs> who knows, I don't know. <laughs> It'd be sexy enough. So that's sort of where I am right now. I would just, I would love to push in the direction of the UK. So I think the fringe is really my opportunity to like, test the waters on that a little bit and see if maybe that's just a pipe dream or maybe I wasn't able to see the bigger picture until I got over there of what the community is like or how welcoming it is. I don't know anything about that. I'm just ready to see where that goes.
2: I was kind of thinking, because I feel like we have more access now to British shows via like Netflix and things like that. So. I've realized that British humor is so different than American humor too, right? Yeah. So how does that influence your comedy? Do you feel like it's more British style humor or do you blend American humor and British humor? Because you seem heavily influenced by the British culture.
1: Yeah, I am a huge fan of Monty Python and I was lucky (laughs) enough to work on a show. Um, I did a a very large amount of research on Monty Python because I took a class at I.O. called Python process, which is like the teacher Howard Johnson used to be John Cleese's assistant for a number of years, so he's he has access to their old scripts and you know these documents and he's he knows all the members he's talked to them so even before Python was a thing, a lot of what he taught us was when the individual members weren't in a group yet, they wrote very differently because. There was the Cambridge duo, the Oxford duo. Let's see. Cambridge was John Cleese and Graham Chapman. And then Oxford was uh, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, and... Did Eric Idle go to Oxford? I don't remember. I feel bad now. And uh, Michael Palin. But... Like this, Michael Palin and Terry Jones were always very visual and very conceptual. So when you'd see the sketches that were sort of about like the idea of different aspects of psychology, or they would have these sort of grand set pieces, or they'd be about uh, things heavily relating to history, you could tell that was always from the two of them. And then on the other side of it, John Cleese and Graham Chapman went to Cambridge and they studied medicine and law and so like the argument sketch is a good example of like digging into wordplay and like using the lexicon to really push humor in an intelligent way so being able to sort of research that did heavily influence my comedy and one thing that i do find a lot of inspiration from are the types of tv shows that they do over there that we somehow have never been able to make work over here, Mm. specifically comedy panel shows. They have shows like Have I Got News for You or 8 Out of 10 Cats or Mock the Week, where it's basically two teams of three stand-ups and the questions are all about the news and they just riff and make jokes about the news. And it's a quiz show. So it's, you know, different styles of questions presented in different ways. And over here, the late night talk show is Mm. what really takes over. And mm-hmm. if it's not that, it's satirical comedy news. It's like John Oliver and yeah. The Daily Show and stuff like that. Whereas over there, it's more spread out. And I think the main difference is in England, all the comedians are a lot closer to the places where they record those shows. Whereas in the US, getting six stand ups in the same room takes a lot of work mm-hmm. because they're constantly on tour. They're on different sides of the country. The one show I watched them attempt from UK bringing over here, was Taskmaster, which I was obsessed with. Taskmaster is such a cool show. What is it about? So um, there's a host, which over there is Greg Davies. Over here was Reggie Watts, and he's the Taskmaster. And there's six celebrities in the uh, in this American case. It was Dylan Francis, Kate Berlant, who's a comic, Lisa Lampanelli, Freddie Highmore. Oh, butts. There was one or two more. Um, But basically, they get tasks, and the tasks will be something like there is a pipe, like a PVC pipe on the table that's facing straight up, and there's little holes in it throughout the pipe, and there's a ping pong ball way at the bottom. And the task is get the ping pong ball out of the pipe. Whoever gets it fastest wins. And you can do it using all of these tools in whatever way you want. So Lisa Lampanelli took a vacuum cleaner hose and just put it in the pipe, got the ball out, you know, however long it took for her to find the vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. And then you, there's like big things of liquid and sometimes they'll try to pour the liquid in the pipe to get the ball to come up, but they don't realize there's holes in it. So they're trying to tape up. It's all about problem solving. Uh-huh. And it's so interesting because it's it's taking problem solving and putting it into the minds of comedians and actors and musicians and performers. And they're always really silly. Like, there's a basketball goal on one end of a pool, and the performer's on the other side of the pool. And you have to get the basketball in the basket without using your hands. So they're using, like, flower pots to throw it in, or they're trying to pick it up with pillows and throw it across. Until Freddie Highmore just jumps in the pool, pulls down the basketball goal, (laughs) and just pushes pushes the ball in with the water. (laughs) Like, it was... Endlessly fascinating and really easy to film if you think about it from like a from a scheduling point of view. There's really only two days of shooting that they need to be there for. Mm -hmm. One day of shooting is the tasks because they aren't meant to take more than five minutes to finish, which means you could spend an entire day filming like twenty five and you've got a six episode season of all of these celebrities doing tasks and it only involved that one day of work. Mm -hmm. And then the next day is the studio day where all of the celebrities plus the host and um, Alex Horn, who is the guy who like sits on the iPad and shows the scoreboard and how everybody did. I believe he also created the show, Hmm. which is why he's the the English person who came over to be part of it as well. So the studio day is just them watching clips of the tasks they did. And Reggie's like, huh, that was humorous. Well, let's take a look at the scores. (sighs) And, I have a feeling it won't be renewed, which is such a bummer because I had such a fun time watching it, and it was it's massively also massively successful in England. Mm-hmm. They've done multiple seasons with so many stand ups mm-hmm. uh Joe Lysett was on there. they had a challenge where um the biggest celebrity you if you could get the biggest celebrity you knew to sign a vegetable, that was like the first task. So, they were getting all sorts of, they were convincing all sorts of stand ups like, oh, this is for charity. Can you sign this, you know, cucumber or whatever? And there's all sorts of examples like that. Like, never mind the Buzzcocks they tried to bring over here. Back in the early 2000s, Mark Marin was the host. And it was just a quiz show about music. And for some reason, quiz shows just don't seem to do super well over here. And I don't understand it because there's so many comedians throwing jokes around and and bantering with the host i there's so many opportunities for comedy it just never makes sense to me that it doesn't get picked up the way it does over there it's super funny like i think a lot of
0: uk shows just don't a lot of uk us for us shows that used to be uk shows don't work very well in the us like mm-hmm. at all yeah like misfits didn't it. work out and what other show didn't work out um, skins didn't work out, and yeah. it's just like I remember and, watching that. Yeah, it, that one was like horrific.
1: It, to be it, honest, it, it's interesting because, like, culturally, I feel like the drinking age alone meant that the two shows would never work out. It's, like, they're too different. Like, like culturally, like that whole show is about kids drinking and doing drugs in high school. Yeah, mm-hmm. and when you put it over here, where the drinking age is 21 as opposed to 18, yeah, it just seems too early yeah. for these kids to be like licking frogs and getting sick because they wanted to hallucinate and so it's just so funny like i'm like i watched so much of it and
0: like for me like that was like a normal thing for me to be exposed to just because like i watched all of it all my friends were into it but when like they thought about bringing it here and when the pilot episode (laughs) 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 when the pilot episode aired all the parents were like freaking out like everyone even like i was uncomfortable i think mostly because like like you said, like the age difference was just so like prevalent and like the fact that I put myself in the shoes of the, like, American actors and, I, and like, he, like just
1: seeing, like... They look like children. Yeah,
0: they all look like kids. And it's, like, yeah. seeing, like, a kid of my age just, like, curse out their mom or just, like, be like, yeah, I'm going out to fucking drink with my friends. And their mom's like, okay, cool, bye. I'm just like, that's not a reality. Like, I'm watching this show in the UK because mm-hmm. it's not real. Like, yeah. I don't expect me to be able to pull this off here. And it's just so funny that none of these shows are, like, working out like this is like i think it's just different different cultural aspects Cause a lot of the shows that you mentioned to like a lot of comedy comedy shows like i think they just work out in the uk a lot more because the humor is a lot different like it's not like as i don't want to say
1: it's not as in your face it's just like a lot of it has to do with wordplay yeah. as opposed to physical things like mm-hmm. the like maybe part of the reason the quiz shows don't work is because they're not dynamic enough yeah no one's moving and it really does rely on the charisma of the host mm-hmm. And I don't know if there are a lot of people who feel like they can keep that up Mm -hmm. unless you brought a British person over here to do it. The only shows I can think of that did well were like The Office, but The Office had to be changed quite a bit. Yeah, Uh, Not that the office environment in either country is really that different, but it's the styles of humor that had to change. Mm -hmm. They didn't really change the format of it. It still had the documentary style, but the characters like on the English version were a little a little sharper maybe Mm -hmm. like David Brent is truly clueless, but sometimes not in the nicest way. Mm -hmm. Whereas I like Steve Carell's character is so ridiculously (laughs) pumped up Uh that we feel like he's relatable and silly, Mm -hmm. even when he is saying things that might be hurtful. Mm -hmm. It still seems like a um, sort of friendly benevolent environment in the, in the American version. Whereas the English version can be a little more like, Not undercutting, like, tongue-in-cheek, maybe? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We are about at the time for plugs, aren't we? Really? Oh, right! Yeah, it's owned by really fast.
0: (laughs) Well, this is the time for you to shamelessly plug everything and everything that you were involved with, that you want people to know about, that you want us to go see. Here you go. (laughs) I love it
2: you have a list ready to go. Yeah,
1: I, um... 'Cause I didn't do super well on this in the last podcast I reported. I was like I was like, Oh, I just do stuff around town, like blah blah blah. <laughs> and and I was like, that's not helpful. Yeah. Uh okay. So, um, I do a weekly show called Mimosa Weekend on Facebook Live. The page is called Chicken, C H I C N. We call it Chicken. It doesn't really stand for anything, even though I thought it was like Chicago Comedy Network or something. <laughs> Apparently, it's just chicken. Cute. But it's a webcasting channel, and they do shows every day. They have Super Smash tournaments on Monday, improv on Tuesdays, sketch on Wednesdays. Actually, improv might be Thursdays. Saturdays is Mimosa Weekend, and Sunday is the Jenga tournament. And uh, if you go and like the page, you can see like the schedule of uh shows because um Facebook live is still kind of in its infancy, so we can't do shows every week sometimes for technical reasons. Mm. But I'm on most weekend. that's morning talk show ditto, so I've got like my my blonde hair and my cute little outfits. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram, ditto Jones TV uh keep up on my makeup looks and things that I'm up to. I know it's not good for branding, but it's a little bit of makeup, a little bit of lifestyle. And the two TV appearances I had this week are also posted on there. My Facebook page, Ditto Jones, uh, I have like an actor page. Uh And I use that to not clog up my personal Facebook with show postings and stuff. So it's definitely keeping up on TV and film appearances, live events, updates, storytelling sessions, things like that. Uh, I am going to the Fringe next year. So if anyone else is going, hit me up. I know that performers who do sketch reviews at the Fringe are always looking for solo performers to sort of jump in and cross-promote, so I'm looking into doing that, although I'm going next year, so that's stuff that can be planned way later. I'm taking a solo show. It's sort of like a um, theatrical experience slash solo play, Mm -hmm. only because it has to be kind of Mm self-sufficient. It's a limited run, so I don't drive myself insane. Also, for that, I will be testing material around town to sort of prepare uh, for the show that I'm going to be building. So if you like my Jones Facebook page, you'll be able to see where I'll be performing and when. Great. I try to book as many as possible.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) It was great having you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer
0: Stories. Also, check out the creator of our podcast music, Be Studwell. She's an incredible queer artist from D.C., and you can check out her music at beastedwell.com.
2: If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk,
0: Talk to you all, all next
2: week. week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories.
1: we walking back to our, my dorm, and I like started hearing music and like drum beats and shit. And I was like, oh, this is real weird, guys. Like, this is so bizarre. And they're like, we're, my friend was like, I don't hear what you're hearing. And my, our trip sitter was like, there's nothing going on. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you don't hear him? You don't hear the little imps go boo, boop, boo. He's like, ah, ah, and we're going home. And then I stop and I, on the way to my dorm, I stop and I scream. I go, my name is Baphomet and I'm a boy. Bye.